But for today, though there's one song in particular that we think is God's favorite. I don't, I don't know if there are any Patriot fans here this morning. We're, we're a church for anybody. If you are a Patriots fan, uh, we have an area for prayer at the end of the service. And we will pray for your dark, miserable souls. My name, my name is Brian Jones. I'm really, really glad you're here. Obviously, we're looking forward to the game tonight. Uh, honestly... Three years ago, I gave away my Nick Joel's Foles jersey. So I had to pull out my Dawkins jersey. It was gone. You know, it was, anyway, and uh, so anyway, we're really, really glad you're here. If you're new, we want to welcome those of you who are joining online. This past summer, I went to Cuba. How many of you have ever been to Cuba? They just opened the country up here recently, and it's tentative whether that's going to continue. For years, I've been praying for the opportunity for our church, Christ Church of the Valley, to develop a partnership to reach the 11.5 million people that live in a country that is just 103 miles off of our coast. On January 7, 1959, Fidel Castro and his uh, guerrilla fighters entered Havana, where they finally, after a five-year revolution, overthrew the American-backed President Fulgencio Batista. And so just now, two generations later, Cuba has turned into one of the most unchurched countries in the Western Hemisphere. And so this mission field is laying literally right off of our coast, and we have an opportunity, and so I saw it. And so Lisa and I took our vacation this past summer to go visit some house churches in Cuba and meet some uh, extraordinary leaders down there. Now, when we landed at the airport, it was quite an ordeal getting there, but when we landed at the airport, I hired a, a taxi to take us to the Airbnb, and it was one of those old American cars you see pictures of. It's great as long as you don't ride and like, uh, mind riding in a car without shock absorbers. 
Um, what they do, the exterior has been there, obviously, since the revolution in 59 and 60, uh, but the interior is all built out by American parts that are smuggled in from the U.S. When, when, when people come and visit. Well, along the way, the first thing I noticed was the state-sponsored propaganda that was everywhere. There were no churches anywhere except a couple cathedrals that existed before the revolution. They will not permit the construction of any church buildings. In fact, there was no marketing of any kind except state-sponsored propaganda. And that's because the government owns all the businesses. So why would you market? Now, our driver took us through the heart of Havana, and we went past Revolution Square, Che Guevara there, where the driver said, and then he pointed out, uh, uh, right at the area where Fidel used to give four-hour-long speeches. And it was just surreal for me. You know, you see pictures of this your whole life, and we're enemies with these people and that sort of thing. We're not, trust me, we're not enemies with the Cuban people. None of these people consider Americans enemies. They just feel really beaten down uh, with our economic policies, which I understand, and I'm not saying I disagree with. Well, the church leaders there were kind and loving and brave as brave as anywhere I've seen around the world. But let me be honest, the church services were terrible. Terrible. It was, it was like, listen, I've been around the world to different church services. This was the worst. So these churches only meet in homes. What we call groups, they call house churches, 15 to 20 people all crammed into a little apartment. And the first thing I noticed, because whenever I do this, I immediately have my, my church sort of coach consultant hat on. I'm immediately thinking, what's going on? What are the factors? What are the dynamics that are going on behind the scenes? And I immediately zeroed in on the fact that no men go to church in Cuba. I'm not talking about like... Um, there are more women than men. I mean, I walked into an apartment and I said, is this your women's ministry? And they're like, oh no, this is the church. And I said, well, where are the men? And he told me that, well, the men don't go to church in Cuba. So the whole time, man, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why is this the case? They're telling me it's the culture. I'm telling you, you can't accept that excuse. You need to figure out why the men aren't going to church. And after two house church visits, I very quickly realized why men don't go to church in Cuba. One of their house church pastors took us up to the fifth floor of an apartment complex. I want you to think in your mind, the worst apartment complex in Philadelphia. Take us up to the fifth floor, and as we're going into this apartment, there's an elderly woman sitting on a chair, and she was somewhere north of about 80 and she's just sitting there greeting people as people are coming in. I'm like, this is very endearing. So the pastor leaned over and gave her a hug. And then Lisa leaned over and gave her a hug. And then they went in. And then I leaned over and gave her a hug. And she hooked me around the back of my neck and started kissing me and feeling me up. <laughs> like, whoa, unhand me. What is, what is, do? No. Lisa had already gone inside. I'm telling you, I would have turned around. I would have turned around. Now, I tell Lisa that this is a common occurrence with elderly women in churches. I, called it, I call it being filled up in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we'll be in the car. Lisa will say, well, what, what happened? You look, why does it go? So I'm like, oh, this 87-year-old woman was like filling me up in the Holy Spirit. 
She doesn't believe me. I'm like, she's like, no. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens. It's weird. I tell her, I'm like, we look in the mirror and we see this. But what elderly women see when they see is that. (laughs) Evidently, when you put on your over 75 goggles, I look like I'm playing the lead in La La Land. Can't keep their hands off me. Anyway, I'm a little shaken, but I go go inside anyway. Uh, We sing songs on a DVD player. And you can see the pastor's son was the only one there. I'm all the way in the back, so I'm zooming in. It's this really long, narrow apartment room. I made the mistake of sitting all the way in the back of the room because I wanted to take pictures. And I say mistake because after the church started, three more elderly women wander in and sit right next to me. And Cuba, I don't know how many of you grew up in churches where there's this like saying in the Bible and like some church, churches take it seriously, like greet one another with a holy kiss. We're not doing that here. In Cuba, like they'll lean in and kiss you on one side of the cheek and then they'll kiss you on the other side of the cheek and you have to do this or it's very offensive if you don't. Anyway, so I'm sitting there and as these women sit down, they give me a kiss on each side of the, the, the anyway. And so the last woman to sit down, she kisses me on one side and then I swear she grabs me and goes in for a straight frontal kiss. And for the last, for the next 15 minutes, I'm like, Stop it. <laughs> well, I'm done. I try to get Lisa's attention. She's up there. I'm, I'm going to get the heck out of Dodge. So, psh, psh, psh. <coughs> Lisa. <coughs> she couldn't. She was either ignoring me. I think she was ignoring me or not paying attention. But anyway, it didn't matter. I knew what she would say. She would turn around and say, stop it and man up. Like, that's easy for you to say. You're not back here getting French kissed by Betty White. <laughs> anyway, after the service, the pastor asked me, like, sort of motioned over, so what did you think of the church service? And I was honestly, I was like, and I'm like, hey, call me crazy. I'm just spitballing here, but I think I know why men don't want to go to your church. Now, this isn't why I'm telling you the story. The reason I want to tell you that story actually... Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that here in a second. We're in this series of talks that we're calling the Happiness Challenge. We're in week three. If you've missed the first two, please go to the church website or go to my website and catch up on the first two. By the way, on your seats, I wanted to put a card in there. Um, that is a card that you can give to one of your friends that will give them a free copy of an ebook that I wrote to go with one of these series. It is written. In the, in the language and from the perspective of someone who isn't a Christian. And so if you have a coworker or friend, and then you want to give them a, 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 a way to introduce them to what's going on in the life of our church, that's the way to do it. If you don't want to, that's fine. Um, anyway, we've been talking about how to be genuinely happy. And the, for the first two weeks, what we've been talking about, we've been talking about how the vast majority of people say they're happy, but they're actually not. Sort of like Kanye here. I'm super happy. Things are great. Actually, no, they're not. Right? And that's not Kanye's fault. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. The entire culture is this way. The entire culture has been given the same message. That if you're not happy, the way to solve that problem is to follow your bliss. It's to do awesome stuff. And as you do that, 
then your soul will get filled up. You will become this person that genuinely is a bubbly, happy person. That's not happiness. That's a 40-year-old man acting like a second grader. If you get nothing out of what we talk about today, please understand this. You cannot be genuinely happy when there's stuff going on in your life that you refuse to deal with. You may try to make yourself happy, take really cool vacations and remodel your house and go shopping or take prescription painkillers or hook up with someone at a bar or buy nice, whatever it is, whatever you do to get what we talked about last week, that dopamine hit in your brain to give you a sense of, wow, this is great. Just remember, wherever you go, there you are. You're never, you, you can mask it. You can drink your way out of forgetting it for a while, but eventually, wherever you go, there you are. Deep, genuine, lasting, purposeful, intentional, rich and satisfying happiness comes when we do two things. Last week, we talked about the first one. Genuinely happy people force themselves to believe hard things that unhappy people won't. Unhappy people will look themselves in the eye and tell themselves lies. They will not believe the truth about themselves, their lives, their past, and their future. And today I want to talk about the second, that genuinely happy people force themselves to do hard things. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to focus on a book in the Bible called the book of James. For those of you who are brand new, the book of James is actually not a book at all. It's sort of like a long online article. It was written by the brother of Jesus. What I love about this article is it covers about 15 popular topics that every one of us struggles with at some point. And what I love about James is he's one of those, I'm not going to take your bull crap kind of teachers. He looks at us, and when we're refusing to take action, he looks at us, and he says things like, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You ever meet Christians? They're like, they're all into Jesus, and they're all into doing Jesus-y things. But honestly, they're no different than anybody else that you know. James would look at that person square in the eyes and say, this has to stop now, like today, right now. This has got to change. I love the message translation of James 2.14. It says, dear friends, do you think you're going to get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but you never do anything? The whole book is about taking action. In fact, there are these broad themes. Listen to these broad themes that James talks about. Deal with your anger problem once and for all. Let's just stop here right now. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have an anger problem? James is like, today's the day where that's going to stop. You're going to fix this right now. Accept responsibility to care for orphans and widows around you. Stop treating people differently based on how much money they have or they don't have. I have this phrase I tell Esau all the time. I was just talking to someone. They always act like they're late for a meeting with someone more important than me. You ever talk to people like that? Every time you talk to them, they're late for a meeting. Who? It doesn't matter. It just said someone more important than me. Change the way you talk over people and to people. Be humble. Stop acting like you know everything. Stop judging people. Stop making plans for the future without asking God, you know, honestly, is this really something you want me to do in the first place? Pay your employees fair wages. All of these different, very practical, practical issues. And at the very end, his main suggestion, 
Get a bunch of Jesus followers around you where you can encourage and pray for each other in times of, in t- when things are going well and things are going bad, and you can help each other put these things into practice. Now, what does this have to do with happiness? Here's what. In the very first talk, the very first week, we talked about um, the uh, psychologist, William James. We talked about he was one of the very first people to do some foundational research on human behavior, why we do what we do. Listen to what James says. Action may not always bring happiness, but there is no happiness without action. That was his conclusion. Action may not always, you know, you may not do something and it may not make you happy, but listen, there is no happiness without action. And James is saying, you need to line up the things you need to address in your life. It's fine. It's great. The first step is that you can look yourself in the eyes and believe you're going to stop lying to yourself. It's a completely different thing when you say, I'm actually going to fix that thing today. I love how Mary Oliver begins her poem, The Journey. She says, one day you finally knew what you had to do and you began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug of your ankles, oh, please don't leave men my life. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. And my question right now, more than likely, the Holy Spirit over the last few weeks has been speaking to you about a change you need to make, about a thing that you need to address, about something you need to believe about yourself that either is or isn't true. What is that for you? Because James is saying, this is the day you're going to take action on that. Um, uh, Lisa and I have a, have a, a spot where we go to every Friday night for a date. Um, I take Fridays off, so she'll come from work and, and we'll meet. I'm not going to tell you where it is because you'll get, you'll get in line in front of us and make us make it have a longer wait than we already have. Um, so we meet there on Friday night. Now, now, years ago when we first started going there, uh, she, was a, um, she wasn't a principal. She was a sixth grade teacher. And I remember there was a season where, uh, you know, she just has a gift of leadership and she was being encouraged to, uh, to be a principal. And, and I just remember that season of her really wrestling with that decision. Do I really want to leave the kids and go into administration or not? And so every single Friday night she would show up and the, like, the first thing out of her mouth was, ah. and uh, I just, I, I just love those dinners and those conversations that we were having because she was like, do I want to leave the kids and go into administration? She would, and she would be like, for instance, and she would reach into her bag and she would say, I will miss this. And she would set down um, on the table um, a letter from CJ. CJ was one of her special needs kids. And she said, if I go out of teaching and I go into administration, I'm not going to have that immediate direct contact with kids. And like CJ, CJ is just, I just love CJ. Now what you need to know is CJ had already written her. I, had, I collected a, a pile of these letters that, that she had, or he had written to her, and this one, this particular one, that I went back this week and I looked for them, I found this one, and this particular one was a book, and you can see where it says Miss Jones, and there's a heart with an arrow through it, and there's Miss Jones on the left and CJ on the right, and this was typical of every single letter that, that CJ was giving to her. So, so open it up. If you open up this book, you, you read it. It says this, Miss Jones, you are the sweetest teacher ever because you're funny, famous, awesome, sweet, smart, brilliant to me. 
And I love this next line. You have the beautiful brown hair and the beautiful good-smelling brown hair. <laughs> Miss Jones. Love this, right? Uh, you look beautiful as I ever saw you, Miss Jones. You smell like flowers to me, Miss Jones. You look awesome today, Miss Jones. You're fabulous today. I love you as my teacher because you're really, really awesome. And then he was like, dang it, I'm going to red ink. I'm going to bring this home with some red ink. Miss Jones, you are smelling really, really, triple really good. And then he scratches it out. No, nice today, Miss Jones. You are a famous and awesome movie star to me, Miss Jones. I said, I need you to give CJ a message for me. I'm going to knock you out. I just remember how much she loved teaching, and she was great at it. But she also felt that God was calling her to be a principal. And so it was really, really interesting when all I can say was, one day she knew what she had to do, and she began. And then one year she was a principal. And I think it's the same way right now with what's going on with you. You want to know the most misused phrase thrown around by Christians? Now, for those of you who are brand new, you haven't heard a lot of this before, um, unless you have insomnia and you watch Christian television at night. But there's this phrase you're going to hear Christians say, and it's this, if it's the Lord's will. You ever hear Christians say that? Those of you who aren't Christians, just at some point you will. Just prepare to roll your eyes when people say that. Because what it is, is it's sort of like... Uh, you know what, I'm not really going to do anything because God's really going to have to blow open the heavens and show me this is really what he wants me to do. That's not at all what this passage says. This passage, James, is saying, listen, life can take some funny turns sometimes. You're going to find that right now you're really passionate about what you're doing, but you need to hold your future plans loosely. Because number one, your passion may change about things. And number two, God may have a different idea. So while you hold your future plans loosely, it would be helpful simply to say, rather than affirmatively, I'm going to be in 20 years and here are my goals and this is what I'm going to do. Rather, what you probably ought to say is, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. That's some pretty good advice. How many of you are doing the exact job that you thought you'd be doing 20 years ago? How many of you are married to the person you thought you would be married? Turn around, look at your spouse and say, I didn't expect you at all. I didn't expect you at all. The kids that you got, the life that you're living, the job, none of that. Random. Twists and turns. We can't predict the future, and we certainly can't twist God's arm to make stuff happen. But we can have plans, and we can take action. Now, what James is not advocating is that we use the phrase, if it's the Lord's will, as a convenient excuse for not taking decisive action. First off, on all the things that he lists in the book of James, but also for this thing that we're feeling in our gut that we know God wants us to do. Here's a very simple rule of thumb for making decisions. Please keep this in mind. If the Bible says to do it, do it when? Do it now. That's what James is saying. Not like, hey, you know what? When I kind of get around to do it, I'm kind of going to 
you know, feel around this issue of my anger and that sort of thing. And then maybe I'll squeeze that in in September after vacation. He's like, no, 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 we're going to do that now. If the Bible says to avoid it, when do we stop it? We stop it now. But if it's not in the Bible and it doesn't go against what the Scripture teaches, you choose. You choose. It's up to me and you. Can I give you a perfect example of this? Um, uh, We're a Netflix family. We like Netflix. We don't get a lot of time to watch TV, but when we do, usually on a Friday night, we look at one another and we say, "What what would you like to watch? And then I will say it, and then she will tell me what we're going to watch. And um, <laughs> it, has become, it has become the show called The Crown. You've seen that? It's a, it's a poor man's Downton Abbey. It was sent from the pit of hell to make people miserable. It is the worst show ever. I have a whole list of shows. Let's watch Breaking Bad a second time. What are we doing this? We don't need to watch this. You know that feeling you get when you go to a restaurant that you've always wanted to go to, and after about three hours, you get that feeling in your stomach, and you're like, hmm. And then after about five hours, you're like, oh, I'm getting sick. And after six hours, you're like, I'm going to run to the toilet. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to throw up. In this crowd, there are two groups of people. The first group is, I'm going to get it over right now. I'm going to go to the toilet, and we're going to get this over with right now. Raise your hand if you're in that group. The second group is my group, and that is, we're going to fight to the bitter end. We are not going to throw up. We are going to do whatever we can not to throw up. You know what I'm saying? Like, literally, we'll lay on the couch, and uh, do, do we want a bucket? Um, no, because I'm not throwing up. I'm throw up. Give me, I need some crackers. I need some 7-Up. I need six bottles of Pepto-Bismol. We're doing this. We're going all the way to the end. Well, after a while, you realize this is probably not a good solution. It's not a good plan. You jump up from the couch. You hover over the toilet. You're like, no, dear God, no. No, God, no. I don't want to do this. You run back to the couch. You're like, oh, there's a little twinge of hope. There's a little twinge of hope. If I lay right on my side, but I lift my leg up like this, I won't have to throw up. Eventually, you get to the point where you're like, it's a foregone conclusion. What do we start to do? I'll tell you what we start to do. We start confessing and asking forgiveness for every sin we've ever committed. Dear God, if you let me not throw up, please forgive me for that 10th grade quiz I cheated in in biology. Dear God, in 2016, when me and Sumter heated up the baptistry to 110 and smoked cigars like it was a choosy, it was Sumter's idea, God. It was Sumter's idea. Anyway, I bring that up because, first, that's what it's like watching The Crown on Friday night. (laughs) Second, that's what it's like to delay taking action on something we know we need to do and we don't want to do it. Listen, here's what this whole series is about. When we delay taking action on what we know we need to do, what we're ultimately not doing is avoiding the pain. What we're ultimately avoiding is living our real life, the life we were created by God to live, which is filled, teeming with abundant happiness. And listen, 
Living the life we're destined to live is what brings happiness. Kierkegaard, one of my favorite writers, wrote in his book, The Sickness Unto Death. He says this, the greatest hazard of all, losing one's self can occur very quietly in the world, as if it were nothing at all. No other loss can occur so quietly, and any other loss, an arm, a leg, $5, a wife, etc., is sure to be noticed. But losing yourself, you can sit next to someone who seems perfectly fine, but who they are is but a shell of what God created them to be. But a shell. Why? Why? And why? It's because we're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to believe that. I am not going to take action on that. I'm going to sit here and roll around and do that and do that. And eventually some of us say, okay, I'm going to do it. My life's going to end. And actually it wasn't that bad. In fact, I feel great now. Deep, genuine, lasting, heartfelt, incredibly satisfying happiness is nothing more than living your real life. We're going to talk more about that next week. Now back to Cuba. Remember that pastor who took us up to that house church on the fifth floor of that apartment complex? He was one of the most genuinely happy people I met in the entire country. Constantly smiling, constantly excited, loved people, loved what he was doing. And after spending the day with him, some other people told me that he was actually one of the most respected chemical engineers in the country. He volunteers his time to pastor churches. A lot of you do the same. A lot of you are just incredibly gifted leader, leaders, and you volunteer your time and your passion and your energy, and where would we be without you? The whole church is built on you. When the car ride back to where we were staying, in the middle of the conversation, and please understand, I only have about three years of high school Spanish. The second year, there was a really cute girl, so I didn't learn a lot my second year. My third year, however, I really applied myself, okay, and, and got really, really good B-minuses. And so um, my, my, my Spanish is a little rusty, all right? But in the, in the car ride, this pastor is talking about something, and he mentions, I figure out, I hear his apartment. And he kept talking in English to Spanish and Spanish to English, and we had a translator, and Lisa and I, and the, the pastor, and, and this whole thing. And then it hit me, the more he's talking... Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, that, that apartment that he was talking about? That apartment where the house church met? That was his apartment. Remember when I said, think the worst apartment complex in Philadelphia? That was where he lived. Here, here's the view of the outside of his window. That's his backyard. That, that, one of the most respected chemical engineers among 11 and a half million people. And that's where he lived. The stench, the rat droppings in the hallways, the dirt field with the broken glass out front. Now, I honestly don't know why I didn't put two and two together earlier. I'm sure Lisa has a very good theory on that. But <laughs> sometimes I just, I just get lost in my head sometimes. And that usually happens when I'm when I'm, when I'm there meeting with church leaders and I'm coaching because I'm listening to what they're saying and then I'm, I'm listening to what other people are saying and I'm observing stuff 
And then in the back of my head, I'm trying to listen to what God's saying about all of this. The whole time, I'm trying to figure out, why aren't men going to church? Why aren't men going to church? So it could be that I was just lost in my head. Or it could, it could be that he didn't speak any English and our translator forgot to tell me that, that it was his apartment. Or it could have been I was too busy, you know, beating back Betty White from, you know, what she was doing at church. Regardless, I was, after a while, I was like, hey, wait a minute, hold on. Ask him, like, did the communist government make him move to that apartment? Like, is that where he has to live? Like, does he have a choice in the matter? What's going on? And that just sent them in a fiery conversation where they're going back and forth and back and forth. And he's this and trying to drive and talk. And he was, she was translating and on and on and on. And then finally, she leaned over and said, he wants me to tell you, this was her broken English, what I could understand. He's saying no one make him move to apartment building. He'd drive by one day, see many widows and kids. And how do you say? Drug dealers. And he felt in his heart, these people need a pastor. So he and his wife and two children moved there. He wanted me to tell you, no one made him move there. Now the whole time she's talking, he's talking. You ever have that happen? Like he, he's, he told her something and then she's translating it. And then he's thinking she's not getting it right. Some of you have conversations like this with your spouses in the car. So, so he's like talking over her while she's talking and that sort of thing. So I'm like, hold on here. So I'm listening to her and I'm listening to him. And my Spanish isn't that great to begin with. And so I'm listening to her, but I made out enough that I could actually understand. In the midst of all of this, three Spanish words. And it was this. Amo mi vida. Those of you who know Spanish. Amo. I love me, my vida, life. I love my life. Tell him I love my life. That's happiness. Genuine happiness. Let's pray. God, we um, bring to you our, our fear our apprehension, our desire to stay in this in-between zone that we know what we now believe and what we have to do, but we don't want to do it, so we just stay here. And God, we pray that you would help us to know that you're with us, that there's nothing to fear when we're in you and when we're with you, and that your love covers all things. Undoubtedly, God, over the last few weeks, you have brought into all of our minds and hearts things that we need to believe and things that we need to do. God, help us just never forget that you are with us every step of the way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, go to happinessable.com.